Welcome to our 50th episode. We've been here for a while. It's a new year. It's a bit new year. It's a new. It's a whole number higher. It's a year. It's gonna be wonderful. Wonderful. And that's our new intro tune. Welcome to the 2019 show. Yes. A show that we've been doing for ages, but is only now relevant. Yeah, we are always discussing what's new and what's happening in 2019. I'm looking forward to having some actual content for this podcast. Yeah, it's going to be great. It was just like an hour of silence before, but now we can talk about Jacob Zuma's <laughs> fucking album dropping soon. Yeah, boy! Lit. Oh my god. That album's going to be Fire. I literally cannot believe that that fucking criminal is releasing an album. <laughs> well, so many criminals release albums and so many artists become criminals. It just seems like the natural path. It's weird. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's been it for the 2019 show. Yes. Now on to our B-side production. Motherfucking be positive, yo. Be positive. The pew, pew. Positive B movie podcast with your host bow, bow, bow. Fraser and your boy Louis. Welcome to 2019, Louis. Yeah, thank you so much, dude. I'm glad we uh, glad to be here. Survived yet another arbitrary switching of the date. Yeah, I can barely believe it because I've been I've been 27 this year. Yeah. Well, oh god, last year. Yeah. And I was convinced that I was going to just bite it, just die. Yeah. You know, I was really Real worried bad. about that when I was 27 too. But I mean, you're almost no longer. Well, by the time this episode releases, it will have been your birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, it's... your birthday being on the 7th and we're recording on the 6th. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So very happy so... birthday to you, sir. Kind. Thank you. Kind man. It will be. And will have been, and will... Always be? Yes. Okay. I don't know. Time is weird with podcasts. It truly is. So um, I just want to say happy birthday to the winner of the best co-host award two years running. Oh Louis Ruth. my God. Yes. <gasps> you were never <gasps> notified, but it's... This is this is the thing. Like this is just how it works. I didn't even know I was nominated. It was held at the previous uh, Shadow Council of B Positive. Oh, uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Which is just me sitting in a dark room, like talking to myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be. Yeah, and that I mean that's where the shadow part comes in. And now it's not a secret anymore that I sit in a dark room and talk to myself. I don't think that was ever in doubt. Okay. Well, um, good. But thank. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for this prestigious award. I couldn't have done it without my favorite co-host, you. Me? Yes. <laughs> I thought it was going to be one of our uh, guests from back in the day. Nope. I mean, they're quite good, but they just don't hold a candle to my sweetest boy. 
Fraser Titoy. Yeah. I can hold many candles as I have large hands. Um, Welcome to the third year of Be Positive, streaming directly into your brain through your ear intake valves. When exactly is our anniversary? You know what? It's this whole month. Yay! Why limit a celebration to a single day when it could easily be extended to a whole month and even a whole year? Yes, incredible. This will be a year of celebration indeed. And to celebrate my birth and the birth of Be Positive, this month we're doing all South African horror. Fuck Um, yes. Yes, we put it up to a poll and the people spoke and that's what we're doing, baby. Yeah. Just so you know, we do what you tell us to do. Words. They whisper their words to me. I listen. I'm pretty excited for this month. I think we're going to have some interesting films. Yeah. 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 Just a... Wow. This... Wow. uh, So, today... On Be Positive, and by today I mean always in this episode. <laughs> At some point I will get used to the time thing and it won't, will stop freaking me out. We are discussing City of Blood yes. by Daryl Ruit. This is from perhaps the most, I don't know if it's well known or if it's necessarily prolific or successful, but Daryl Ruit is one of the few South African filmmakers who made it into an international space, yeah. I'll say. Most known, I think, for Sarafina, oh. which I've never seen. But I've heard of it. Yes. And also the director of a Lake Placid sequel. What? And also the director <laughs> of Dracula 3000, I think. Ah! That is fucking amazing. Yeah. I... I did not know that, and I am well impressed. Yeah, I mean, Daddles is a deep well that I think we can keep going back to as the year continues. Are you Um, saying we can plumb his depths? We can. We can indeed plumb Daddles' depths. Nice. (laughs) Nice. So we're starting with uh, the 1987 film City of... Blood. And wow, what a film. Or is it two films? <laughs> there are definitely two plots. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, two vaguely resolved plots. So I feel like just for our international listeners, we should give a brief introduction to the socio-political situation that fo- this film is set in. Because I was checking out the IMDb reviews and a lot of non-South African viewers just don't get the film. Yeah. And they are very upset that they don't understand the film. And then that channels into a kind of hatred towards Africa. Yeah, kind of an antipathy sort of situation. So City of Blood was made in 87 or maybe 86, a time in which apartheid was still at one of its worst moments. Yeah, very dark time. Yeah, I, I looked at just the list of events in South Africa in 87, and we're talking literally dozens of bombings 
and security police counterattacks and army attacks. Um, the border war was still going on. Shit. It, it was a point, I think, of, of real desperation for a lot of the black majority trying to struggle against this system that just didn't seem to want to crack. Yeah. And the system feeling that strain really lashing out violently and almost like in a panic trying to keep this upsurge of resistance down like a cornered animal yeah 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 yeah. i'd say that's that's pretty accurate so yeah a really really rough time yeah so also uh during this time there were a lot of sanctions against south africa because oh yeah to a large extent the global community was not okay with the whole apartheid thing and with the oppression yeah. happening yeah after almost 40 years they'd gotten around to being not okay with it yeah, it took them a while, but then I feel like everyone else or everyone in the developed, in air quotes, swishy, swishy, developed world, mm, mm. during that time that they were okay with apartheid, they were just pretty much dealing with their own super evil, oppressive sins. If, oh, you, for sure. if you look into any first world nation, you'll find just like a long line of human rights violations going all the way back. Yeah to their found founding. That kind of gives it a sort of context also to say that apartheid was largely similar to segregation and Jim Crow in America. Yeah. I mean, you know, apartheid means segregation. Yeah. I don't know why we keep the Afrikaans name while speaking English, but... I think it is just to... It's become synonymous with that system where yeah they know, trademarked it yeah where like the actual term apartheid just means separation so by virtue of me being in china there exists an apartheid between us because in separate locations you get <laughs> but wow risky risky maneuver right. but you can't say that anymore but that's what i mean you can't say that anymore because the term apartheid now refers only to that time. Afrikaans people don't use it in conversation for its original yeah, meaning. No, it's not its own word anymore. And, and you can't really use a different word for it. Yeah. It, it is what it is. Yeah. In, the, in the same way that when the Nazis took the swastika as their symbol, it stopped be, being like a symbol of peace and whatever and forever became besmirched by Nazi ideals. Yeah. And in the same way, the NP, it was the NP, right? The National yeah, Party. Yeah, the National Party. Uh, in the same way, they took a word and stripped it of its original concept and attached their vile, filthy hatred onto it. Also, another like key thing to keep in mind while we discuss this film is that there was also media censorship going on within South Africa oh, yeah. at this time. Especially concerning the ending of City of Blood, I feel it's very important to remember that there was a limited amount that you could say. The sort of uh, resolution to a story that you could give were severely limited. Yeah, definitely. Most newspapers were banned by that time. All the opposition political parties were banned. Yeah, and it was it was a real struggle to try and get the truth out yeah. at that time. Are you going to hit us with a little plot synopsis? Then? I will do. All right. So at the beginning, Daryl Ruet really sets a scene. So we see Africa 
2,000 years ago. Two yeah. tribes dudes running through the forest. In the initial scene, though, just something I want to point out, they were wearing flip-flops, which I don't know if 2,000 years uh, ago people had <laughs> flip-flops on. But I guess like for uh, actors running through the bush, it would be kind of <laughs> tough. So two tribes dudes running through the forest. They've got their spear. They're wearing a loincloth. They're running around. And the one dude gets killed by like a severed head on a rope. Yeah, which is it's like a Rambo type severed head type thing, battering ram. Yeah, thing. it's odd, but I get. Yeah, heads are heavy, so the other guy is like, "Fuck this, I'm out," and he chucks it, and then like he ends up at like this just a pond where he like a little waterfall. Yeah, where he just goes to thingy. lie flat on his stomach in order to drink the water, which I feel that was a very weird directorial choice. Just like, what, mm. the, what the fuck is happening here? I mean, just sit or something. But then he gets <laughs> he gets narked by some dude that's covered in red body paint with this weird-ass mask on his face. I guess to imply yeah. some sort of black magic con- connotation or whatever, but he gets clubbed to death. Yeah. And then we cut to the main story, which is the City of Blood. It happens in Joburg, and we follow... Joe, 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 something. Henderson. Joe Henderson, who is the chief pathologist for, I guess, the Joe Johannesburg at the time. He's also, he the, seems to be... The whole country? Yeah, it's, it's weird. I don't know how pathology works, but... No. Yeah, so he is involved with the police and his best friend, Max, is like the chief of police or the lead detective in a, yep. just, I guess, homicide. It would be, but they are investigating a series of murders and super brutal, incredibly fucked up like murders on sex workers, which also this film is from the 80s. So they use a few problematic terms for sex workers. Yep. And from there, a lot of things happen. So they're kind of following the plot line of trying to solve the serial killer thing. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's the first plot. While at the same time, there's this other plot, and it's not even a subplot, it's just a fully formed plot. It's a full plot, yeah. Yeah, which both of these could have made their own film. But the other plot is where the state is trying to get Joe to sign off on, like, a nameless death certificate. And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm a professional. I'm not signing. I haven't seen the body. Show me the body. Who is this fucking yeah. dead person that I'm like pronouncing legally dead and saying that they died of heart failure? As it turns out, as was, I guess, common in those days. Very common. They had accidentally murdered a freedom fighter during interrogation. Uh, and by interrogation, yeah, I guess they mean full-on human rights violation torture yeah some like guantanamo bay shit happening probably even worse than that yeah they want him to sign off on horatio mccona's death certificate but he's just refusing full stack yeah and it's not entirely clear why he's refusing other than just on the ethical grounds of he's not willing to falsify a death certificate. Yeah. It's not stated that he is politically motivated. It's not stated that he feels any sort of empathy for Horatio Meccano 
it sort of just seems like he just isn't willing to cross that line professionally. That's a kind of morality. Honestly, better than nothing. Sure. Yeah. So the, the reasoning that the state gives as to falsifying this death certificate is that if the people, and especially like the black people, were to discover the truth, there would be riots and there would be potentially a revolution, the overthrow of the state. So they want to cover it up and say, yeah, he just died of heart failure, whatever, it's not a big deal. Then, I mean, you gotta just, when you're doing shit like that, you just gotta take a second and you gotta think like, man, maybe we shouldn't be in power if we're doing shit like this. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we're the assholes. No, I, that never <laughs> fucking happens. Are we the baddies? Joe is even taken to the prime minister of South Africa, an Englishman, who is just trying yeah. trying to like convince him to just do it for... I guess he, he's playing it off as like, do it for the greater good, but it's not, the, it's just like, he's like, don't let yeah, the system bad. fail. It's not even a good system, but don't let it fail because it's the system. <laughs> That's his whole <laughs> argument. Yeah. Meanwhile, Joe is like getting involved with prostit uh, well, with sex, sex workers. Uh. I almost, because I wrote it down. <laughs> I wrote, I'm not even, okay. Joe is getting involved uh. with sex workers. <laughs> yeah, he's like playing detective, even though Max tells him many, many times to stop. Joseph, you, you're, you're the medical examiner. You are not allowed to conduct police investigations. It's not your job. Please stop doing it. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't care. He yeah, just keeps he on just keeping on. Full on. But then also, he doesn't actually find out shit because he is a terrible communicator. No. It's like he's trying to do that, like, noir fucking detective thing where he's, like, sitting in the shadows of his car and he's, he's being curt with the sex workers. Oh, uh, yeah. And then yeah, 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 they yeah. react like normal people going, like, dude, you're wasting my time. You're being fucking weird. I'm going to leave. Yeah. And then he's like shocked that they're leaving. Uh, so yeah, he like, never, what? How? How did that happen? Yeah. Uh, he's a terrible communicator and he never actually finds out what's going on except for the fact that like things happen to him. He's not investigating shit. He just, yeah. he's refusing to sign a death certificate. Uh, and then he gets like caught up in the political drama. So this film is framed off as being a slasher right like it's sold it's sold yeah. as a slasher but it fucking isn't it's a political drama or a political thriller it's, yeah it's much more that and the slasher part just kind of muddies the water it doesn't pay off at any point yeah i mean what happens to that plot they find another victim and the victims have these like five puncture wounds in their heads yeah then he finds or someone else finds a skull that has the same puncture wounds, but it's 10,000 years old or however old it is. Yeah. And then he goes to an old, I think, Sutu man. And he finds out that it's this ritual club that has these five pointy bits. Um, yeah. So then he has the club. And then they get attacked by the witch doctors with the spears and the clubs. Yeah. No, that's it. And then Max gets speared to shit, and that's it. That's the resolution to that one. Yeah. Because what ends up happening, right, is... Uh, and this is why I wanted to frame it in terms of 
political censorship or, or state censorship is that at the end of the film, we've had this conflict of, you know, is he going to sign the death certificate? Is he going to fucking just, you know, flip off the state and be like, fuck you, you, you deserve to go down. And right at the end of the film, he ends up signing that shit like a fucking worm, signs that shit, and then, you know, he shoots himself in the head and ends it all. Well, he he signs it and then he crumples it up and throws it away. Yeah. So he... He does both? No, well, I mean, he signs it and then rejects it, rejects his deed and kills himself out of a sense of guilt, I'm assuming. And then they just find the thing yeah. and he'd already signed yeah. it. Yeah, and then like we cut out to a newspaper saying Horatio Meccano fucking dies of a heart attack. <sighs> and then, yeah, he's dead. But I mean, that that's the thing. I wanted him to just reject it and take it to the fucking media if there was such a thing at the time and be like fucking just scream it from the top of a mountain broadcast the shit and let everybody know what's happening but yeah this was still a film made during apartheid so they could only push that message so far before Mm. the state would go like hey hang on they themselves would be this is subversive yeah so they did the next best thing where he does what the state wants and the state wins in the end but he also rejects himself for doing that. Yeah. So it's like a mixed bag. That's, I think, the main thing that I took away from the film is this immense sense of bleakness and hopelessness that it ends on, where the murders don't get solved, the perpetrators never brought to justice, they just seem to be kind of forgotten about. Yeah. The story of Makane never gets out. It just, you know, lands with a thud, essentially saying, oh, it was a heart attack. Yeah. And Joe kills himself. And Max is already dead. And his wife is a ghost. And... Well, is she a ghost? She's not a ghost. She's just... Or is she a... She's an hallucination. Yeah. She's a full-on... Uh, we did skip over that a little bit. But I do want to get to that no, a bit sure. later. Uh, to the whole plot, yeah. sub the only subplot where he's hallucinating his wife. So that kind of ending, I think, perfectly... And I mean, that's also tonally throughout the film, that kind of bleakness and austerity and, like, senseless violence gives us a really good idea of where South Africa was at that point. You know, this feeling of, will it ever end? It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse yeah but there's no real change because it was quite a surprise later on when they decided to release mandela people were oh what wow okay cool yeah so i think at that point in the late 80s people were really incredibly despondent about the future of south africa and i think that really shows in this film yeah i guess it does capture the tone of the of the time quite well this was released three years before Mandela was released, uh, before he got yeah. out of jail. So, like, I'm guessing, like, fuck, I'm going to sound like such a tool, but Horatio Meccano is not a real dude, right? He is an no. allegory for Mandela. Yeah. So okay. th- this film essentially asks, uh, but does not answer. What uh, if they narc him? But they, I don't know, the film doesn't really give us an indication. I mean, they, they talk about, like, there'd be full-on civil war. Yeah. Which I'm sure is true. I mean, it was already a state of low-level civil war Yeah. Uh, anyway. Quite honestly, the damage done 
during that time and you know all of apartheid but like especially the tail end of apartheid and how brutal it got south africa is still dealing with that shit it's 2019 yeah, I, think, I think we will for yeah it's the the divides it caused and the fucking just the psychic scar on our collective subconscious as a nation is not healing anytime soon especially not and i don't want to get into politics but like fucking the politicians at the moment just keep scratching at that wound and keep reminding everybody that you know of what happened instead of trying to bring people together yeah and without really trying to fix the inequalities that apartheid entrenched in our country yeah that's what you get from living in an oligarchy which is something i realized the other day is that south africa is just like russia and just like the U.S. is an oligarchy. Yeah, I mean, if you have money, you can do whatever. Yeah, that's fully true. I mean, if you get stopped by the police in South Africa, uh, you just give them some cash and they let you go. And I'm pretty sure you could do that at any level of crime, especially as we've seen with state <laughs> capture, where you could just buy the country and just fucking just, yeah. you know, whatever. It's not a big deal. I'll bribe somebody. <laughs> What specific things do you want to bring up from this film? One thing that I do want to bring up is that this film is suffering from a crisis of identity where it doesn't know, does it want to be a crime thriller or does it want to be a political thriller? And I honestly, and maybe it's just because I was watching Or does it want to be a horror? Does it want to be a supernatural horror? Yeah, but like... Man, they did not pull off supernatural horror even a little bit. No. Uh, I have to admit, I was not scared, maybe bored once or twice, but like... Sure. But I was, however, invested in the political thriller aspect of it, uh, where I felt... I kept on feeling like, man, can we just focus on on the political aspect of this because they keep like touching on it but it never developed really because there's these two members of the secret police that keep hassling joe to sign this thing and like he just keeps saying no and they keep getting angry and it doesn't evolve much he he meets the prime minister but that's also just something else that happens there's no like character development in that direction we need to analyze a connection between the political thriller and the slasher thriller into this film. Okay. I think Daryl, in his wisdom, left that task to us. Uh, He was truly wise in choosing us as his prophets. (laughs) Right off the top of my head, I have the answer. The slasher element of this film is never truly developed and it is sort of this esoteric, secretive fucking force you know the seemingly magical and all-encompassing force and in that same fucking way the south african government the apartheid government was to the oppressed people of south africa it was the ultimate fucking supernatural slasher because it they could just fucking come get you and you would disappear and nobody would know where you went you would be like tortured and murdered And then they would just pass off your death as, oh man, you had a weak heart at 30. I like that, yeah. So, but then what do we make of the fact that the the killers in the film are black and dressed in like tribal garments with like ritual masks on? Is that 
Is that racist? Was that all being racist with that? Yeah, that was racist. (laughs) (laughs) Because those tribal masks are not, from my experience, they're not at all related to any cultures in South Africa. Those specific... And that's also the thing with, like, the intro. Africa, 2,000 years ago. And it's like, Africa's a big place, dog. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's a big, There's a lot of fucking Africa, man. Place. Deserts, that... jungles, fucking swamps. Yeah. <laughs> bush, felt. Um, like, come on, savannah. And that's something that a lot of people, and especially older people, still do, is they, they refer to Africa as if they're not living in Africa. Oh, yeah. I find it's a it's an issue endemic to South Africans. Definitely. Where... They tend to refer to everything else as Africa. Yeah, that's the split. It's Africa and South Africa. Those are the two countries. Which is ridiculous because South Africa is like one of what, 54? Yeah. 160 million? I don't know. (laughs) There's so many countries in Um, Africa, it's hard to tell. Yeah, so that was a really weird choice, I think. And, And are the killers supernatural? Are they like... These conjured beings, or, or like are a they... vengeful spirit or something? Yeah, I mean that's what I thought at first, but then why would a vengeful ancestor be killing random sex, sex workers? workers? That's not helping. As the political thriller subplot develops, right? We have Joe being kidnapped by these red dudes, um, the guys who body paint themselves red and run around with spears and you know, the spiky club. He gets kidnapped by them and then taken to some ki- some place, like some warehouse or some kind of hideout for, you know, political faction of freedom fighters. And he meets what seems to be a leader in, in the black power movement. Yeah. But it's never really established, like, who the fuck he's talking to. It's just generic freedom fighter, you know, just, just a guy. And, like, it seems like these red dudes are working for the freedom fighters at large. So they're not supernatural in that way. They just seem to be, right. like, a militarized wing. But then it, 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 it's never explained why are they targeting sex workers. And then also, but then if they're just regular people, why are they dressing up like that? I guess it's scary. It's like a maybe like a fear tactic. It's a fear tactic. But then also, I think what Daryl Ruet is saying, because this whole film has a dreamlike quality to it that we've seen in in a lot of Giallo films. So half the time, it's hard to tell what's a hallucination and a dream and what is actually happening. So with these guys being dressed in that way, it's really, to me, it's like, Pretty much what white people and especially the older generations were expecting a revolution to look like. It's exploiting that kind of very backwards white fear. Yeah, it's it's taking it back to the old colonialist fear of the people that they are actively working to destroy. Yeah, that makes that makes more sense. And in that way, I guess. Maybe these people are actually dressed in this way. They're, they're painted red and they're wearing the crazy mask. And it is a fear tactic. And in that way, it could be because like magic used in warfare is like all magic. It's about spectacle. It's about what you can see. 
It's about ritual. It's about all that shit. But this could be a way for these people to use the concept of ancestral magic against their oppressor. Yeah. Where they're well organized. They they seem to appear and disappear at will. They are able to kill indiscriminately. But then I want to get to why they're killing sex workers in a minute because it doesn't quite make sense it doesn't fit but it seems like just a like you said it's a fear tactic it's i guess just a way to get an upper hand on what at the time was a very powerful militaristic state yeah yeah i I quite like that a kind of a symbolic weapon in a sense yeah kind of a, a reassertion of their identities maybe possibly it's a it's a symbol it's like Fucking Batman. (laughs) They are the Batman. Yeah. So I I also want to mention that Joe, throughout his investigation slash mental breakdown, (laughs) starts... he breaks down. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He starts having a relationship with a sex worker called Abigail, who... Yeah. he, He picked her up, said he just wanted to talk about her dead friend, and then when she ran away, tried to stop her, and then he shows up at her apartment. Super creepy, yeah. yeah he's he's really stalking her. Good. He explains that he's sort of a cop. Wait, he no, he calls himself a cop. He legitimately <laughs> he lies to her he um, uh, to gain her trust. So anyway, they have a short conversation where he's just kind of doing his investigator thing, and then later he goes up to her and he's just like, "I need you." And yeah. they fall into bed. She's like, oh, I need, I, I need you too. And yeah. And at that moment, I was just like, no, no, this is. No, you lost this, me. <laughs> <laughs> this is pure fantasy. This is wish fulfillment because there is no way in hell that the character of Abby would actually fall in love with the character of Joe Henderson. No way. And not just because he's old and ugly but also because he's a he's a creeper and he's clearly got some issues that he's trying to work through right now yeah but then in the end there's a shot of abigail sitting in front of a fountain without her wig her her night walking wig as joe dies she disappears yeah so it's implied that she's not even real yeah that that it literally was wish fulfillment I guess now is a good time to bring in the subplot of Joe's family where yes. his wife and children left South Africa because of, you know, all the attacks and the bombings and, and the general terribleness. Yeah, and luckily um, they, not because of the unlike state. most South Africans, had the option of leaving, which, you know, just kind of cements their their place of privilege. They are They are the least at risk. And it's the easiest yeah. for them to get out. So they move to Britain and like at one point he receives a letter from his estranged wife. And it becomes clear that Joe had the opportunity to leave, but he didn't have the will to leave. Yeah. He felt tied to the nation for reasons. I'm not, it, it wasn't quite clear to me. It's a little vague. Why he didn't leave. And then he, he, throughout the film, hallucinates his wife and she is always playing the role of the negative voice in his head. Yeah. His general insecurities. Yeah. It's kind of like the role of the nagging wife being kind of uh, sublimated 
into his own thoughts of you know self-loathing self-doubt or all the negativity and stuff in the same way that she's a hallucination his affair with abigail also ends up being a a, a hallucination a hallucination yeah a hallucination i should know this i teach this to children (laughs) oh there was something yeah speaking of his connection to south africa there's something i wanted to mention about the accents in the film which are pretty weird because Joe has a British accent, like a full-on British accent. And yeah. Max, P- chief of police, has a Cockney accent. Yeah, and out of place. then everyone else have normal South African accents. So it's, it's yeah. almost like an indicator of status, where the higher status you yeah. are, the more British your accent is. Like, for instance, the prime minister is yeah. apparently British weird and i guess in that way maybe daryl ruit was pointing an accusing finger for the the cause the root cause of apartheid at the british state yeah and saying that this is the british legacy in yeah uh in south africa It, it is it is the legacy of colonialism even though in the modern era it is mainly seen as the fault of the afrikaner who you know, at one point was also to a lesser degree, but also was subjugated and oppressed by the British. Yeah. And that kind of circle of oppression, the famous cycle that we seem to go through, ran its course and then the Afrikaners became the oppressors, following largely in the in the mold of British colonialism. Yeah. So I guess that's why like the you know, the Prime Minister would be seen as a Brit. Because it's a shifting of blame where it's, you can't, you just, it's not a justification. You know, if you were bullied, it's not a justification for being a bully. And I say that as someone who was bullied and then became a bully. My bully. Yeah. Interesting story. (laughs) We might tell it one day. Yeah. Um, But then I sort of came full circle with that. Now I've fucking can't stand bullying and the only people that i am willing to bully are people who are actively bullying other people uh and it's generally just me stepping up to them and causing shit uh putting your powers to good cause yeah but i'm yeah what else do we want to talk about the last thing i want to talk about and like something that i wanted to bring in with regard to Joe's wife leaving. Yes. The phenomenon of white people leaving South Africa and then claiming to have left because South Africa has just gotten too bad for them. It's not safe. I mean, it's it's been going on since apartheid. It's yeah. never stopped. Uh, I know there's a large number of like white South African people that I guess now it's in vogue to move to Australia. In that time, it was like people were moving to England and it's never stopped. And it's I'm saying this as someone who left South Africa, but I plan on returning. Yeah, temporary. I didn't emigrate. You yeah. Know, selling my labor where it's valued. But that is something that irks me that way that a lot of emigres would then turn around and be like, wow, South Africa is so shit. Yeah. They're getting kind of secondhand shitty fake news about South Africa and being like, oh, thank God, that's why I left. That's why I left. They're stuck in an echo chamber, just like everybody else. 
yeah the right-wing afrikaners also think that every other white person shares their view because online they only run into right-wing white people yeah so foreigners who left probably follow pages like south africa as a shithole or something and that's that's all they hear about they only get bad news where there's generally a sense of growth and you know to my experience when when i was in south africa last and when i was still living there recently it seemed to be getting better yeah in terms of acceptance and reconciliation among the people if you pay attention to the politicians, it's like never been worse. <laughs> you know, crime is an issue because of poverty in South Africa. Yeah. Country is struggling, so the people are struggling. Yeah. And I feel like in general, you know, also I'm also not like some authority or anything, but I feel like we are moving however slowly forward. We are making progress here and there. Some Some backsliding, but generally I think an upward trend the media loves to portray the worst of the worst the oh, most sure. salacious of the shittiest people because obviously that's what sells you know people love bad news so if some racist does something racist everyone's like oh my god everyone's racist but then most people are united in going like that's messed up yeah there's generally a sense at least from older white people in South Africa, that there's nothing they can do to bridge the gap and to be supportive and to be an ally. Where, I mean, there's a lot they could do. Yeah. Just get involved in your community. But I guess that's, that's beyond the pale. Yeah. Well, fuck. I don't do that either. I'm a crappy South African. <laughs> well, as long as you vote. I don't know who you should vote for. Everyone's a crook, but vote. Get out there and vote. <laughs> I think that closes off our discussion of City of Blood quite neatly. I was apprehensive going into this one because it is, as a South African, it's a bit of a loaded topic. Oh, yeah. It's dangerous ground to be trading on, but I think we handled it quite well. Yeah. And, and I think the film also handled it as well as it could. Yeah, considering its socio-political, political, temporal location. Yeah. So, Louis. Yes. If you had to rate this film out of a 5 to 20,000 year killing spree. Oh. Perpetrated by a supernatural club-wielding maniac. Or mm. supernatural guy or thing, person red paint human i think i'd give it a solid uh ten thousand years that's a lot of years it's a long time it is a long time i'm gonna have to give it eight thousand years uh, mm. i would have given it 10 but i have to detract two thousand years for historic inaccuracy uh, when it comes to that fucking club so that fucking spiked ass club yeah the spikes are clearly iron uh, in make, in craft. So, like, yeah. man, 20,000 years ago, people weren't fucking using iron. So, minus 2,000 years. <laughs> Take that, Daddle. Put us in your next movie. Yeah, yeah. Lake Placid 29. <laughs> All right. So, that's it for our discussion on City of Blood. Thank you for listening. 
thank you for joining us in our third year of podcasting. Yes, we look forward to a great, great year of podcasting this year. Uh, we're going to bring you a lot of sweet content. And then next time on Be Positive, we're watching <gasps> Night Drive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is also another South African film. Uh, that's what we're doing for the whole month. So go and find that and watch it and prepare yourselves. Yeah, I, it's on YouTube, right? It's, I think it's it, pr- it free is, to watch. Yeah. Well, uh, it's probably pirated and put on YouTube. So yes, free to watch. Well, uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Stay Scary. We're on Facebook at Stay Scary. We've got a group too. That's for posting discussions, for memes, for being just your beautiful self. Yeah. Have a chat. Have a, I don't know, whatever a Facebook thing. Post a trailer or make a request or you can do anything on there. Or invite a friend into the group. Like if if you have a friend who is a filmmaker and has made a film that falls into our wheelhouse yeah we would love to hear from them we love doing that it's it's been some of our favorite episodes so far i guess that does it um there is nothing spookier than apartheid i've been luiru and i've been fraser and you stay scary in 2019 jesus we've been having so many fucking technical issues we've got gremlins up in the house today yeah we need to exorcise our gremlins i'm gonna buy a gremlin treadmill i'm gonna get them jogging that's exactly how it works fucking yes uh those little bastards need to work for their fucking money oh yeah you know fuck with my with my gear so even the african sun is